tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I edit Aquarium Drunkard, and each week I sit down with an artist, writer, musician, or filmmaker to discuss what makes their work tick and explore it from the inside out. This week, I'm joined by Alaskan folk singer Mossy Kilcher. Tompkins Square Records has recently reissued Mossy's beautiful 1977 LP, North Wind Calling. Joss Rosenthal, who we've covered over at Aquarium Drunkard, he wrote a great book called Record Store of the Mind. He discovered Mossy's record and tracked her down and convinced her to reissue it. If you want to hit pause right now and head over to the New York Times to read Grayson Haver Curran's great story about Mossy, it's a beautiful piece of writing by one of my favorite music writers, go for it. We'll be here when you get back. Northwind Calling is a truly wonderful record, homespun and unaffected. At 78, Mossy spent most of her life in the Alaskan wilderness. Lots of records evoke a place, but Mossy's actually presents the sound of Alaska by incorporating gorgeous field recordings. And her lyrics, impressionistic and sweet, feel equally drawn from the land. I rang Mossy up to discuss how it feels to return to her masterpiece more than four decades after its release. How Alaska and her utopia-seeking parents influenced it and her relationship with Jewel. Oh yeah, have I mentioned that Mossy is Jewel's aunt? Before we get into it, a couple reminders. Last weekend, Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard returned via Dublab. I'm hosting a show there, presented alongside essential listening from Aquarium Drunkard confidants, collaborators, and special guests. We'll be on Dublab every third Sunday of the month from 4 to 8 p.m. Pacific time. You can check out our first broadcast, which opened with an invocation by Aquarium Drunkard founder Justin Gage over at DubLab right now. And individual shows, including mine, are archived for our Patreon supporters. Mark your calendars for August 16th when I'll be back on the DubLab airwaves with Tyler Wilcox's deep cut showcase Doom and Gloom from the Tomb, Marty Sartini Garner's Personal Sky, The Return of the Tonight Zone, and a special guest spot by guitarist and storyteller William Tyler. Okay, let's dive in. The North Wind is calling. Here's Mossy. You're tuned in to Aquarium Drunkard's Transmissions Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me here on the Transmissions podcast. It's a real, uh, it's a real joy to speak with you. I know I caught you. You've been kind of running around. What have you, what have you been up to today? So our listeners have a a, a feel for what your daily life is like. I just got back from uh, uh, a chicken that was hatching eggs, and I had to put the chicks in a special pan, and I had to feed my two Morgan horses uh, in the rain, and I was watering my flowers all week long. Let me see. My daily routine is very. Very beautiful. It's on the farm, and um, 
I tend to my raspberry patch. I take care of my chickens and horses and my cows in the back pasture. And we just got through haying. So it's just a kind of a low-key little farm life. And we don't have too many guests this summer because because of the COVID, the pandemic. Usually I have a lot of guests in the summer that come visit and stay here at the farm. So this is, this. you have lived... I mean, your entire life there in in Alaska, right? Have you? It, it, were you? We're obviously we're we're calling to discuss your your 1977 double album, Northwind Calling, um, which is being digitally reissued by Tompkins Square. But um, was that where you are? You near where you wrote most of these songs uh, originally? Yes, and uh, of course, many of them were inspired. My childhood and how I grew up here, even after I did leave home and traveled about Alaska and uh, other places in the world, I was always connected to Alaska, and my spirit lives here. I was shaped by Alaska, and I've been a big part of it um, in my heart. It's, I feel like I am Alaska, so <laughs> that sounds kind of crazy, but I really do feel like Alaska is in my bones. Well, so... The, what's what was so striking about this record, North Wind Calling, is how deeply rooted all of these songs sound like they are in Alaska. You know, uh, how old were you when you when you recorded uh, this album? Well, I was in my mid thirties. I was already married and had two kids, and I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to gather some of my songs together. And I decided to do the album because as a way of sharing my feelings and my view and my perspectives about Alaska and also how I grew up in Alaska. So they were very personal expressions. And a lot of these songs, I had written like 20 times more songs over the years. So I had just to pick out the ones I thought would all fit together on this album. And a lot of them I wrote actually when I was had left home and... I was missing Alaska and realizing how much it meant to me and how much it was influencing me wherever I went. So even to this day, I'm still writing songs. So there are there are 20 songs on this album, which is a fair amount of songs. Uh, but uh, I, I assume that when you decided that you were going to make this record, um, you wanted it to be fairly expansive with that amount of songs. Uh, were they... Uh, you know, you, you, you mentioned that some songs ended up on the cutting room floor. So how did you sort of go about selecting the songs that would be featured on this record? It was very difficult to do. It was very random. Uh, some of them might have needed more elaboration or work, so I thought I'd save them for another day. And others just seemed to be the ones I really needed to share at that moment in time that sort of expressed where I was at at the time of my life and what I wanted to convey to the world and share with the world. And it was just a simple act of sharing that I reasoned that I did it because I didn't really expect any fame or fortune out of the deal. I just wanted it to be an expression of a time and a place. Well, it absolutely is that. Um, When you listen, I mean, this this album has been digitally reissued by Tompkins Square. Uh, did you go back and listen to the record at all uh, in preparation for uh, talking with people about it and, uh, you know, 
getting the record back out into the world? Uh, and if so, what did you what did you think upon listening it and revisiting these songs that you, you know, recorded a while ago? They have always been with me is the thing. I, I sing them now. Uh, other people sing them around. My family, uh, my kids sing them to their kids. Uh, you know, it's sort of been part, it's part of my family and friends um, and also random people around the world sometimes just contact me and say, oh, I ran across your album somewhere. And, and that's how Josh actually contacted me out of, out of the blue. He's found my vinyl somewhere in some somewhere, and he said, "Wow, I'd like to talk to you about this." And I was totally taken by surprise um, by that. I got you know feedback from around the world over the last you know forty years from various places of the earth that you would never have expected that it ended up there. You know that somebody would enjoy it. You know, say in Italy or in Florida or somewhere else. How many copies did you did you uh, originally press before, you know, th- how many copies made their way out into the world the way you're describing? I think, I'm not certain, I should have the answer, but I don't think it was more than 5,000 copies uh, yeah. of the vinyl that we were able to afford to get pressed, you know. And I, I wanted to be all my, all my thing, in other words... I determined in the studio when I went down there, it was a four-day jam session um, in Seattle, and I determined, like, what instruments I wanted on what tracks and what the sound, what, what, the, what the feel of the song should be. And the wonderful guys that worked with me, studio musicians, they were, like, all about it. They got it. They got the whole thing. In the little cubicle where the engineer was sitting, and, uh, and he was telling me how, how, how it works. And I said, well, that's great, but I really don't like the sound of this. Could you turn this up? Could you turn that down? And he goes, well, if it's your record, you're paying for it. And then I designed the album cover. And I just wanted it to be all my own creation from start to finish. And that was about the purpose of it. Had you been in the studio? I mean, obviously, and we'll get into this in a second, but you grew up singing music and your whole family was musical. Had you spent much time in uh, any sort of studio setting before you went in to make this record? Absolutely zero. This was my first experience, and I have to say it was a most, you know, eye-opening, intense experience ever that I ever had. It was quite, it was quite intimidating in some way, but I, um, I decided to go for it. <laughs> well, it, it worked out really well. I have to imagine that trip to Seattle was was pretty exciting. Had you already left home at that point and sort of begun, as you said, your journeys around Alaska and elsewhere? Oh yes, I've been out of I've been out of my own gallivanting around, uh, hitchhiking, let's say, uh, across the United States from from L.A. one time all the way back to Alaska when I ran out of money. I went to Mexico. I, I just did all kinds of. 60s uh, kind of things, you know, I was, was in the 60s after all, and, um, but I did not really fit into any of those things. I realized after a while that I needed to go back to Alaska, but I also spent a lot of time in Alaska, single, as a single girl, working, uh, you know, on all kinds of, all kinds of ways to support myself from mostly working in the fish processing canneries all over Alaska. That was my favorite lifestyle to work in the canneries. 
and then take the money and go and go exploring and um, go traveling. They called me three months mafia. I never stayed on a job longer than three months. And then I got married and had kids and all that. And the rest is history. Yeah. Well, so so uh, how did how did you get the record to people originally? Uh, were you selling it? You know, did you consign to various record stores, or did you sell them by mail? Or that's right. They carried it in all the stores around Alaska. It never went beyond Alaska. And I had a little mini, mini moment of fame going around, you know, maybe a few station interviews, newspaper articles, little record signings here and there. And the rest I just gave away to friends and family over the years or sold, you know, locally. And they're almost all gone. I have a couple of, I have about 50 records left, actual vinyls that have never been opened yet. I'm sure that, that people will want to get their hands on those, especially uh, now that this is going to get a little bit more attention, I think. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> you, This album draws very, very much from, uh, it, it feels like it's very rooted in the wildlife and the nature of Alaska. Um, your your parents were, were homesteaders, Ruth and, and Yule. Uh, did they teach you a lot about paying attention to, to nature and animal life when you were young? They were just really artists at heart as well, idealistic pioneers in many respects. And between the homeschooling that I did um, as a child, we we were homeschooled as well because we were so far from anywhere. My first uh, time in, in school was when I was 13 in a public school. So I had plenty of time up till then to be creative, make up stories, you know, explore nature. And that became my home, actually, because we grew up in a one-room log cabin. There was eight kids and two parents. So my private space, my creative space, my sanity, if you will, was just to get way out in nature and just make that my home. And so I found a lot of solace and refuge Connecting with nature, it really made made me who I am, and I, I connected with it in so many ways. Okay, let's take a break to hear from our sponsor. Patreon. You know it, we know it. Patreon is helping us make Aquarium Drunkard month after month. Creators, you know that social media and streaming platforms help people find your work but they don't necessarily help you actually make money from it. With Patreon, you can stop rolling the dice of ad revenue and per-stream payouts and grow your career through the direct support of the people who care the most, your fans. Patreon is built for creators, not advertisers, and it helps you skip the middleman and develop a sustainable income source by offering a monthly membership to your fans. In return, they'll get access to exclusive community, premium content, and the chance to become active participants in the work they love. If you're a podcaster, video maker, musician, writer, illustrator, a creative person of any kind, sign up on Patreon now. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com and change the way your creativity is valued by building the steady income stream you deserve. Let's get back to the show. Here's more of my conversation with Mossy Kilcher on the Transmissions Podcast. Guess I'll never know. 
do you feel like uh you know when you were when you were making this record was there a sense that you missed where you came from uh so many records you know uh they they kind of have this sort of wanderlust you know that's a real that was a real common thing in in folk records from the the 70s you know this sort of desire to ramble and roam but it really feels like for for me listening to this record it, it seems like there was a real intense attraction and a uh, sense of belonging that you felt about the the place where you grew up and it seems to me like the record right on down to the title you know north wind calling sort of seems like it's it's hearkening back to a place that you missed do, do you feel like that was sort of what was driving the the spirit of these songs when you recorded this record well i think you hit it right on the head actually uh definitely definitely um a sense of belonging and missing that in other in other places still strong with me. You know, I I I've moved back to my hometown of Homer uh, permanently, right? You know, maybe maybe ten miles from where I grew up, hmm. and I'm still connected to my family homestead. And my brothers and sisters live here, and um, I think we all feel strongly about about the magic of the place as well as how we grew up and there was a lot of magic and there was a lot of beauty and you know a lot of sadness too that comes from living in the wild and you know having to kill animals and see things die and and then losing you know your best animal friends over the years and but mostly mostly I knew that Alaska meant more to me than just a place to live and get rich and, and uh, subsist and survive. It has a real spiritual feeling for me. What is that? What what is what is sort of the spiritual uh, character of the place for you? Well, it helps me, I should say, me personally, learn about and get in touch with. The fact that if you belong to a place and get to really know this place and it's in your bones and in your blood and in your heart, that um, that um, you will always have a place in your life. You may even live somewhere else, but you it's that's the magic of Alaska to me. There's a lot of wildness left that people can sort of feel, well, I'm connected to the bigger world, you know. It's not just always about my daily lives, and it's there's more out there. There's more. There's more to what meets the eye out there. There's magic out there. That's also as important as you know, owning land and having a family and running a business. I always valued the sanctity of the wilderness just for its own sake, and I've always felt really protective about it. Like hugging the trees just because I felt like it. <laughs> Literal tree hugging, yeah. Literal tree hugging before the word was even invented. So I would fight my dad. You know, I had a big standoff with him when I was a kid because he's cutting down this birch tree. But it has to live too, you know, and the bird has a nest up there and all this. So I was always trying to, that there's a bigger home out here. And um, so the sense of belonging it's very strong. I hardly know how to describe it. What brought your parents from, they came from Switzerland, right? What brought them to Alaska? So they came during the war years in the 40, early 40s. 
and um, they came here because they were looking for a land far, far away where they could start, live out their dreams and ideals of, you know, the perfect life. They had a group of friends that were going to come with them, but because of the war, they couldn't follow. So they were sort of uh, utopian types, you know. They, they had dreams about living in the wilderness and living a simple life. And then it ended up they had to do it pretty much on their own with the help of, you know, eight children, of course, later. So I, they came here to kind of escape civilization and the world that was kind of going to heck at the time. And, you know, by some chance, they found Alaska and Homer. It's a long story how that came about. But I always had the sense since I was a little girl, there was a terrible loneliness, in a sense, being far away from other people. I knew that we were all alone in the middle of nowhere since I was a little child. And that feeling never left me, you know, almost a melancholy, if you will, about it all. And so I tried connecting with, with nature since there was not, not, not many other people around. And I feel that my parents being settlers, they were settlers on a new land, and they didn't know a lot about living in the wilderness. They learned it all, just very brave people, very creative and ingenious how they went about everything. And they taught us all these skills. You know, you could drop me right now in the middle of the wilderness. I could probably survive quite well. But I, growing up more as an indigenous person, you know, from the ground up, if you will, I thought a whole different sense of how you belong to the land, less as a settler and dominating the land to suit your feet, but more as working with the land and, and, you know, getting into it and harmonizing with it and all that. So I tried to get that across in my lifetime and live my life that way, but I think I also wanted to express it in my music and in my art. Do you do you feel like um, what what did they think of of this record when they got to first hear it? Do you feel like that there's any sense of that sort of utopian feel that you mentioned that they were after? I feel like to some degree your your record embodies that. Did did they enjoy listening to to your music? Oh yes, my parents were very proud of me. They loved it. Um, they knew what I was trying to express, say you know say. And uh... do you feel like um, you know? They, they they taught you all these skills. You mentioned that they they taught you, you know, survival things and stuff like that. Was music a big part of, of your education growing up as well? Did you sing with your family and, and, and with your parents? Oh, yes, my goodness. I, I must mention all that's a very key question and a very most important thing. Uh, since I can remember, my earliest memories are of music. Actually, the music of the birds was one yeah. of my first memories. I remember hearing that song far, far away on the ocean, a bird singing. And it just haunted me all my life uh, till I finally found out what it was. But it is such a, it's so epitomized. It embodied everything about the faraway, lonely land that, that really stuck with me all my life. And my parents were singing. My mother was uh, studied to be an opera singer before she left uh, when she was a young girl. And my father was very musical. And together they sang folk songs from all over the world, uh, from every country. We had um, a folk song book at home, and we learned all the folk songs in there. And then my mother also played the concertina. 
And my father played a flute, a homemade kind of flute that he fashioned. And so we sang around the dinner table. Every single dinner, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we sang songs. And then later on, my mother got one of those wind-up phonographs, you know, for the old 78s. And uh, that was a fantastic gadget. And so we listened to um, records that she bought through the mail. She, once a month came this album of LPs, you know, regular 78s. You know, Burl Ives and Alan Lomax uh, Blues Collection and Woody Guthrie. And all these songs were just part of her daily life. A whole uh, spectrum of music, including classic classical music like Vivaldi and the <laughs> whole spectrum of music in her house playing all the time. And we sang while we worked and while we were, I sang when I was sad and I sang when I was happy. And I figured, well, why not make up your own song, especially since I was hearing music and everything, in the wind, in the birds, in the ocean waves, in the tractor sounds, whatever. So I always heard, heard melodies that just seemed to come to me anyway. So I started making up my own songs when I was kind of a, seven or eight years old. And one of the records, uh, sorry, one of the songs on the record I uh, wrote when I was 13, which is Daydream Land. Oh, that's a really nice one. I wrote it when I was 13, or I should say it came to me when I was 13, because I always hated taking credit for a song. I always thought it was sort of given to me and that I should be the caretaker and uh, preserver of this thing that came to me <laughs> and, and keep it documented. Do you have any do you have any sense of where you think the songs come from? Well, I don't feel like I actually ever wrote them. And mm. I don't say that just to be, you know, whatever. I honestly never felt I should take credit for them. You you don't you don't you don't know that they you should take credit for them, you said? Yes. Oh. No, that's very true. I'm not saying this to be a fake humble or anything. Because I truly believe that um, I was privileged to hear them from somewhere coming, and that it was my duty, if not my mission, to 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 write them down and preserve them, and make them uh, hearable and share them. There were something to be shared and sung, and uh, I would enlist my brothers and sisters sometimes in coming up with harmonies and. You know, it was just like a, a creative project. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's how my songs evolved, came to me. Some overnight and some, you know, it took maybe years to kind of suddenly get final. What uh, what kind of contemporary music were you listening to around the time that you, you made this record? Contemporary. Yeah, were you, were, were you listening to, were you... Yeah, were you listening to the rec uh, to the radio, or or did you have favorite artists at the time that were, you know, pop stars or rock stars, that sort of thing? Well, actually, you know, by '77 there was already we'd gone through the '60s and the Beatles and all the hard rock and all the wonderful. I just adore all the, you know, the '70s music. I don't think they'll ever make better music than that between you and me, <laughs> from the '60s through the '70s. You know, everything from folk song to pop to even some Western music, you know, the the, the original Western music, you know, the one that's in the Ken Burns uh, documentary, uh, the history of Western music. I mean, 
I just love all kinds of music. And so I've been listening to it up to that time. The kind of music, though, that is on the record that, I should say, the songs that on the album, I really haven't heard duplicated anywhere else. They just, there's similar songs everywhere, here and there, folk, folk songs especially. I really resonated with those, you know, 60s folk artists a lot. But I sort of felt that um, I don't know where I don't know where my songs came from. They were kind of on a blend. Of, I attributed mostly to the blues that inspired me. Some bird songs that especially mean a lot to me, especially the hermit thrush. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my mother singing, and my father playing the flute. It's all kind of more rooted in in my past. You, as we established, your family is a, a very musical family. Uh, and your niece is, is Jewel uh, Culture, who, um, you know, she's known as Jewel professionally. Uh, at what point did you realize that she had music, musical talent? Did you pick up on that pretty early on? Oh, yeah. Uh, her dad, um, her dad is a very good singer and entertainer. And he has also grew up, you know, with his, his version of his kind of music, his writing songs, kind of simultaneously we kind of followed the similar path, but a different kind of music in a way. But Jewel kind of picked it up from her side of the family from, through her dad. Actually, I taught her dad, Ops, to play the guitar when he was in his teens. And then he elaborated on that and carried that forward. Then Jewel picked it up from him, and it kind of went onward. And, of course, to her credit, she's done all on her own um, and learning and studying and her own style. But she was a pretty little girl. She was like maybe six, seven, eight when she first started singing with her dad actually on a stage. And she had an incredible voice. And uh, when I, when she stayed with me as a kid, many summers she stayed with me on, you know, her auntie's farm here in Homer. And she'd ride horses with me and she'd, she'd sing together. And she'd yodel a lot when she was riding horseback down the beach with me. And, yeah, she had a very amazing voice. And I was not surprised at all when she went, when she went with it and flirted with it. It was quite amazing, but also kind of seemed natural, you know, that she would. And her grandma, her grandma Ruth, especially supported her and had faith in her that she would be, you know, a great singer someday. And we sung together a little bit, she and I, uh, different other concerts here and there, Jewel and I, and we're very close. Taxi's visiting right now, right here in Alaska, and we're spending a little time together again every year. We spend time together. Did you did you tell her about this reissue of this album and that people are are calling and asking uh, asking about it? Yeah, I told her about it and. Uh, and she knows that, you know, she's very supportive of it. She's she's very happy about it. And and we just talked about it the other day, actually. And I said, well, I'm just doing this because it seems to want to be out there again. And I know she's proud of me. I know she's very proud of me. I hope I inspired her a little bit. Well, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure you have. But I love that the the sense that you have about these songs being something that you are a steward of. You know, um, there's a little bit of a there's a lack of of 
ego that I'm picking up on while we're speaking about this. That, that it really does feel to me like these songs are something that you want to uh, sort of nurture. Uh, you you talked about how your view of the land changed as you as you grew up and as you explored more into this idea of of sort of uh, something that needs to be protected and nurtured. Um, do you feel like I think that this this pandemic has made a few people at least ask the question about whether or not we're sort of living in the world in a way that is sustainable and is potentially, you know, something that we could keep doing. Uh, this, this pandemic has made a lot of people question that. Do you feel like there's something specific that nature has to tell us about the way that we live that we should be especially paying especially be paying attention to right now uh, and that maybe your record is a sort of speaks to that a little bit? You know, if it speaks to that, I'd be very, very honored and happy, and I hope it could do that. See, I always felt that we were living in the world in, in a wrong way from the time I was very little. I just couldn't understand why people live in the world the way they do, especially in regards to the environment and nature around them. And over time, I figured out that it is indeed possible, because I'm trying to do that with my own at my own land and property, that it is indeed possible to live on the land, but you have to live with it. It all is there for a reason. It all has a purpose, in my opinion. I feel strongly about that. And so the challenge is to find out what that is out there around us and how can we live with it, not off of it, not from it, not on it, just with it. And so... I found that my happiest time in life and the way I feel successful is trying my best to live with the land. And that doesn't mean you give up stuff or that you don't have animals or livestock or, you know, it doesn't mean you destroy the environment either because it's a neighborhood. And so we don't um, treat the land as a neighborhood. We don't treat the world as our neighborhood. We treat it as something useful and a resource. And I don't see it as a resource at all. But also music is the one thing that kind of can break barriers and break bonds, I feel, and a universal language that speaks to all hearts. So I feel that through music, one can get these messages across better, sometimes on big, loud, you know, chest-thumping uh, lectures and stuff. Just then by showing people how it can be done. You know, this is how I do it, you know, and it's possible. Well, I love that, and I feel like this record does speak that sort of language, the language of uh, contemplation and the language of of quiet, you know, in nature. And uh, and uh, you've even incorporated the sounds of nature. Uh, you know, before I let you go, there are, uh, you know, nature sounds on this record. I wonder if when you put this out, did you think uh, about, uh, how, did, how did you go about assembling those sort of, those field recordings, the sound of, of water running and stuff like that? Were those things that you went out and recorded yourself or was that studio magic? No, no. The bird, this is true. I do now, by the way, recording bird songs and nature sounds while they are still there, while we still have them around singing. And there's a very short window when that is happening in Alaska. So I spend a lot of time out there filming. I, I, I make a, a, a collected footage, but also sound recordings 
uh, of all of nature that I can possibly uh, document to preserve it. And I, these are my own recordings on there, rather that I was just starting to do this recording in 1977, so I added that in. If I, if I make another record, which I'm hoping to do, yet still one more, hopefully, I would have a lot more nature sounds in there. It would have a different composition to it because yeah. I would have a lot more nature sounds in there. Well, I hope that we get to hear that soon, that it can join this other record in uh, kind of demonstrating that relationship you have with, with the wilderness in Alaska. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me about it, Mossy. Well, I'm very honored that you called me. And I probably should mention that I'm, 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 I've, wrote, I've written a memoir that just needs to get out there, but it is called The Song of Far Away, and it is also about the music, how it has, the music influenced my entire life. Like there's a song in everything, and you just kind of need to tune into it. Well, I can't wait to get a chance to read that, and thank you so much for joining me here today. I hope you have a, a wonderful rest of the week. Thank you so very much. I'm so, I'm so happy you called me. Fog on the hill, sweet you falling, spirit bright as the morning sun. Where did you go when day was done? That's going to bring this week's show to a close. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week, but if you can't wait, there's lots more to hear in the archives. From artists like Lowe, Jason Manzukis, Daniel Lenoir, Gillian Welsh, Tim Heidecker, Jeff Parker, Steve Gunn, Eleanor Friedberger, many more. So go check it out. And if you enjoy the show, do rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which will help people find out about it. Or simply share a link via your podcast app of choice. We're on all of them, or at least all the ones that we know about. We're posting great stuff all week long at AquariumDrunkard.com. We're all about making your listening life better. So do stay in touch and let us know what you dig. You can find us on all the social media things, so come say hey. We'll be back next week with more of Aquarium Drunkard's Transmissions Podcast. Take care. Down. Rain.